trigger warning, trigger warning. This is a reminder, you have got a trigger. Do you know what your trigger is? It's that soft spot, that bruise that makes you see red when it gets pushed. And I don't know what your trigger is. Only you know that. This podcast strives to have thoughtful adult conversation about human issues. But I'm not a professional, and I would describe lots of the topics here as things that would trigger someone. So if you find yourself being triggered by any of the issues that we talk about here, I'm asking you now to please take that opportunity to simply find something else to listen to. Also, this is not professional advice, ever, (laughs) even when we talk to professionals. This is only casual conversation that is meant to promote for mindfulness and examine our own egos. Thanks. So he's like telling me like, oh, my deadline for my visa that's very soon. And, you know, one option would be if I married an American woman, will you do this for me? This was all very fast, very fast. We went to some place and this Armenian guy sold us two simple wedding rings. On my wedding day, I asked all my friends to come like as a witness. Nobody came. They all thought it was like crazy what I was doing. The people who came was Gena's father, who doesn't speak any English, who just arrived from Russia, and like three guys I had never met before in my life that didn't speak English. And so here I am at the courthouse in downtown Manhattan with Gena, whose English isn't great, and four guys that don't speak any English in suits, barely paying attention to me. (laughs) But it was also so ridiculous that I thought it was super funny. I think it was walking out of the courthouse that I started kind of having the thought, there's nobody in this inside joke. Like there's nobody that I'm laughing with and- Maybe the joke was on her after all. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and if I'm being completely honest with myself, I eat a fair amount of candy in my car by myself and then go out of my way to throw away the wrappers like evidence. Who am I hiding from? This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. You are listening to my friend Rosie's story, How to Erase Your Past, part two. Part two, Earth Monster. We began last week telling a story that Rosie never tells anyone about a time when she fell secretly in love with her new friend, Robert. Robert left town for a while and in some backwards delusion, Rosie agreed to marry Robert's friend Genna, completely non-romantic, on a whim, only to help him get American citizenship. Big commitment, super illegal. Like I said, her one caveat was that nobody catch feelings for each other, and she really didn't know him well at all. As you heard in the opening, they put the wedding together fast. Rosie didn't take any of it too seriously, and before she knew it, she was standing in front of a judge getting married to a stranger, surrounded by his friends and family most of which spoke little to no English. Here's Rosie. Then we walk out to the Brooklyn Bridge with red roses to take pictures. And then there's like bottles of vodka in bags and we're taking shots of vodka as the day's going. 
I kind of remember going to Brighton Beach. We get to a restaurant. I kind of remember food being served. And that's all. That's it. I don't remember anything else. I, I don't remember that night at all. At all. Like, I've seen pictures of that night. I saw a video of me dancing the hora, like the Jewish kind of like fun dance. No recollection of it at all. I wake up in the morning. I'm in that Lower East Side apartment under a blanket, completely naked. There's nobody there. And I'm just like, I have no idea what happened. I like had a horrible hangover, like horrible, you know? I don't think I ate at all that day. You know, brides on their wedding day. So wake up, no clothes on, like searching the room. I think I put clothes on that aren't mine. And I open the bedroom door and the only person in the apartment is Gena's father, who doesn't speak any English. This like old fat man in the kitchen and he just starts speaking to me in Russian and I just speak back to him in English, like, oh, good morning. And then he hands me a glass, like a, a coffee mug of hot water with like a half of a lemon that wasn't even cut. It looked like it was like ripped. <laughs> this glass of water that was mostly <laughs> lemon, which was actually really nice, but uh, like, thank you, thank you. And I'm sitting there and we're just sitting across the table from each other and he's like smiling, looking down and he keeps looking at, over at me and saying something and I don't know what he's saying. And then I, I, I don't even know what. Uh, so after about 10 minutes of that, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go home, like, goodbye. She's laughing now. Sometimes you have to laugh, especially when you lose control and you don't want to accept any of the other feelings. But it's not funny. And when Rosie woke up naked in the apartment, completely unaware of how she got there, she didn't think any of it was funny anymore. In fact, maybe she felt like a punchline. I go home and I'm just like thinking in my head, what the fuck? Like, I'm just running through what the fuck happened. Like, what could have happened? It's the worst thing that could have happened. I get home, I took a shower and I went to sleep. Nobody was home. We were in California hiking. Who knows where the roommates were? The whole place that was normally a buzz with the debauchery of the art school scene she'd been running from was gone. I put myself in a stupid situation. I drank vodka with a bunch of strangers all day, like arguably for a month. I was drinking vodka with a bunch of strangers for a month. Eventually, Gena reaches out to me. I remember it was like nighttime, so it was either that next day or the day after comes to my place and we meet on the stoop. I didn't let him in. The apartment was on Bedford Avenue in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. They sat on the steps that were tall and made of stone. Below them, black town cars roared past. Geno with his empty smile, rosy, stone-faced and guarded. For the first time, maybe, really looking at her husband. I was like, what the fuck, dude? Why did I wake up with no clothes on? Like, why wasn't my bra on? Why wasn't my underwear on? She remembered wearing both of them before she had blacked out and forgotten everything. Oh, I changed into a different dress and there's pictures of me in that different dress and I think I was planning on doing that. I don't remember changing into that dress. He was like, oh, we went into the bathroom and I helped you change into your dress. She didn't remember anything. Taking pictures on the bridge with the rose petals was clear in her mind. She sort of remembered the train ride to the restaurant and dinner being served. But then nothing. Apparently they had gone into the bathroom together at the restaurant for her to change. And we made love. And I didn't believe him. I was like immediately like, I don't believe you. Like I, I, and he was like, we did. And I was like, I just like couldn't think of any circumstance where that would have happened. I would have had to be unconscious for that to happen. Like I was so not attracted to this guy 
that was so not part of the contract on the legal path. I just couldn't see my drunk self if I was able to move around and change into my dress and then more pictures and dancing the hora. I just didn't understand that that was a possibility. And he was trying to convince me that it really happened. And he was like, you really liked it. He was like, I didn't think we were doing anything wrong because you didn't push back from it. And he's saying this and I'm just like, I don't believe you. And then he talks about like certain things that made me believe him. Little things, like the way the dress worked, intimate things that let her know the truth. That was like, fuck, I just slept with this person in a bathroom, in a fucking restaurant, and I have no memory of it. And how do you even process that? It's, it's not like I was passed out, but was I passed out? I mean, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, was I just so drunk that I was like, oh, I'm going to make out and have sex with this person in this bathroom? Like, possibly? I don't know. It's not typical behavior. I just didn't know how to understand it. He was like, it was really nice and I want to do it again. Like, or, you know, it was like, okay, fuck. Like we are, this is already like a disaster. And then I also thought to myself, in his mind, we had sex. He's going to tell someone maybe or whatever. And the way that I coped with that was by thinking, I need to have. The only way I could think of handling it to make it make sense for myself was to have consensual sex with him. Does that make sense in any way? Wow. If I have consensual sex with him, then then it's not like just that story. It's like, oh, then, you know. You made a choice. I made a choice. And it's not just this thing that happened by mistake. It's not this thing that happened to her. It was the beginning of something else. And so I think it was like that week or whatever. I think we slept together twice and acted like kind of like that before I was just like, all right, no, this is not happening. This is like not happening. She thought it was a way of going back and changing the past retrospectively, erasing her actions, bumping herself out of the victim seat. Delusion. And she felt it right away. Two times and she was sick. She hadn't chosen Genna, not consciously at least. How had she even gotten here? Robert had been the one. But what would Robert think now? What had he ever thought of her? Why had she even gotten married? All she could do was try to reset things with Genna, her husband. I'm sorry that this happened. I'm sorry that I dealt with it this way. I'm sorry that I dealt with it by sleeping with you. And I don't even understand why that's how I dealt with it, you know? It's not like somebody's holding a gun to my head and saying, like, Sleep with this 75-year-old monster. Genna might as well have been a 75-year-old monster. Rosie couldn't recognize herself. That's just how I processed it. And then for like 48 hours, I think I was like horribly depressed. Still alone in my girlfriend's giant empty squatter's apartment. At least that's how it always felt to me. A parade of dirty art kids stopping through to drink or smoke or paint or crash. Just a week ago, Rosie had been another one of the passing faces. But it was as if the heavens had cleared the whole place out for a week so she could marry Genna and lose herself. I watched Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind and I started thinking about like TED and art school and everything else. And I was like, I am erasing myself. Like I am erasing who I am. I'm like caught up in this whole world and I haven't been hanging out with you and Zach. I haven't been hanging out with my girlfriends that I grew up with. I haven't been 
And I just thought like, oh, I just like did a bunch of things that kind of reset who I was. And now I'm finding myself in this like kind of gnarly situation. And I just thought I need to get the fuck out of New York. So I get a plane ticket to Anchorage, Alaska. To chase after the man that she really wanted. Robert was working in Denali National Park for the summer. I read Into the Wild. The movie's yeah. stupid, but the book's good. The book was good. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I knew that Robert had a relationship with Alaska. And I just thought like, okay, all of these mistakes have to do with this person. I have to go see about this person. You know, like go see about a girl. Helpful story. This gets her out of town, away from her husband, and back to pursuing the guy she was really interested in, Robert. I like to say that like sex has been the best and worst backseat driver in my life, telling me go this way, don't go that way, go this way. And sometimes it's worked out really well and sometimes it hasn't. And that's just, you know, that's okay. It's okay. So Rosie left for Alaska and it felt like the beginning of a wild adventure, except most of us would never hear the story. We lost track of each other after that and we didn't reconnect for almost 10 years. Where did you fly into? Whatever the airport in Anchorage is. This young stripper picked me up, Yana. A friend of Robert's met Rosie at the airport. And I lived in her apartment for two weeks and she didn't work in the morning because she was a stripper and she would spend her afternoons like going to the mall and getting her nails done and shit. And then she would eat like mac and cheese or something like that. And then she would go to work at like three. And I was in Anchorage for two weeks while I was kind of looking at the scene in Denali National Park, what kind of job opportunities. The night before I left for Denali, I went to her strip club and it was like very underwhelming, most of the performances, but Yana was fucking awesome. She was so good. Like she like came on the stage to like a really awful song, but she explained to me that the soldiers like this song. Topless, possibly bottomless, like G-strings, For sure. She came on stage. She was a good dancer. All the other girls were like kind of out of shape and like mailing it in. And I love dancing. And so I came to the strip club and I was watching the strippers as like a critic. I was like, come on, girls. Like (laughs) the guys were all sitting there completely emotionless, just like sitting there with their Bud Light, just looking miserable, like watching these strippers dance for them. But then Yana got on and she had real presence. And there was even a part in her dance where she got on all fours and backed up into the creepiest, weirdest, like 300 pound guy who was right on top of the stage, miserable looking with his Bud Light. And she like backed her ass up into his chest and almost knocked him over. Like it was amazing. It was like, it was a good performance. I, and I was like, woo! Like somebody's got to cheer on these people, you know? Yana had been letting her crash on the couch after all. Rosie left for the park to find Robert the next day. With butterflies in her stomach, she was excited to see him, but nervous too. He knew she was coming, but she also knew that she was going far out of her way to make this interaction happen. She had to. Maybe it was the reason that all of that mess in New York had been necessary. I imagine the flight that she took from Anchorage to Denali National Park was spent daydreaming a lot about the two days that they had hooked up in New York together get there robert's there and it's excited to see me completely cold as ice platonic as fuck like none of that connection it was like oh okay let's be practical i think you should work here i had another idea of where i should work i like kind of tried to make a plan that wasn't connected to him but there was no other plan she had followed him out into the middle of nowhere alaska's giant it's three texases there's 
something. Which was Denali National Park. And then there's nothing for a long time. And then there's something and there's nothing for a long time. And the somethings are very small. So I get to Denali and there's a lot of people there on work visas. People that Rosie would be living with. Robert had it all worked out. We're going to live in this tent with these four other guys, a Serbian, a Moldovan, like two other. We lived in a tent on like a hillside instead of the work housing. And he just treated me like a, a friend, like kind of cold, kind of dismissive. And it was like really disappointing. What had happened to making out horizontal in a cab on the way to the airport? Where was his hand that had wandered along the waist of her pants? Back in New York, I guess. In Alaska, Robert kept his hands to himself. Maybe he was upset that she had married Genna. He didn't seem to have much knowledge of what happened in New York after he left. As it turned out, he and Genna weren't actually that close of friends after all. She found herself half hoping that Robert was jealous, because at least that would mean he was interested. But he wasn't saying much about any of it. Just a cold friendship wall to keep her at arm's distance. But Rosie refused to be disappointed. She was in too deep. And I think what I told myself was like, all right, this is what's happening. I'm in fucking Alaska. I already started a romance with wilderness. Nice. She picked up a quick rebound romance with wilderness. I'm not going to let this sour this experience. To be fair, even without a romance with Robert, Alaska was still keeping Rosie well within the bounds of her original delusion. She wasn't decorating corporate banks for Christmas anymore. She was living in a tent in the middle of nowhere. Alaska is insane. There's just like moose everywhere. Alaska has one highway that goes through the entire state. There are more grizzly bears in Alaska than there are people. So I, I land in Denali and Robert's very welcoming, but there's a coldness going on as if we never had those two romantic days, like as if that was nothing. And it was like, great, you're in Alaska. Um, Here, don't live in the workers' dorms. We're going to live in this tent with four other guys. We'll save money and do stuff and have adventures. But the whole time, there is this kind of wall that I'm sensing. And the way that I deal with that is just being really excited about being in Alaska. You think you're going for love. Yeah. <laughs> love isn't there. You're met with a wall. And you're like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Because look at my real love. Well, it was like, I mean, what's better than the most grand wilderness one can experience plus love? And so I experienced that minus the love. And so got a job, made pretty good money. She was working in a restaurant, the only restaurant, as a server. So at a certain point, Robert is like, okay, we're quitting and we're going to hitchhike around the state. And I was like, great. Like, I thought you'd never say that. Thank you. I don't want to work in some fucking restaurant. And so we make a goal to hitchhike to Prudhoe Bay, the northernmost city in Alaska. I had no concept of how dangerous that could have been. I was researching while I was there and seeing, oh, there's one highway in Alaska. Like, oh, there's barely any cities in Alaska. We start our journey. We hitchhiked planes, small planes. They hitchhiked on airplanes. Let's all take a moment to understand that. We landed in towns where we didn't see another person for like 24, 48 hours. We had a tent from Walmart and our diet was like Snickers bars and sometimes halibut that we could get from kitchens that had halibut. Kitchens that had halibut. Very Alaska. We saw multiple grizzly bears. We were along a river once where it was definitely feeding season for bears. It was like totally dangerous, totally frightening, and it totally worked out. <laughs>
Wow. When we got to certain places where there was a hotel or something, there was like a man behind the desk or a woman. It would be like, you go talk to them, you go talk to them to see if there was like a worker's place to sleep. Do you mind if we sleep in the lobby? Like it was a total fun adventure. But at the same time, there was a lot of unsaid things, I think, at least on my part. I'm like, play cool. Jeopardy brings people together. Like, I'm not going to say, hey, I came out here because I'm in love with you. And he's not going to say whatever he's feeling, which I have no fucking clue. I have no clue. Like, maybe he said one or two things that makes me think, oh, he's jealous that I married Genna. And I didn't even understand that. I was like, are you fucking kidding? Like, I married your friend for citizenship. I thought you would be thanking me. But like, maybe it came out once or twice. There was definitely some like unsaid resentment going on that turned into us developing a really natural way of fighting. Rosie knew that Robert had been planning to get his own citizenship through other means, so he had not been planning to try to marry her himself for the same reason. But then what would he be upset about? It didn't seem like he had even spoken to Genna since he'd left New York, so he wouldn't have known that Rosie had accidentally slept with Genna. She couldn't figure it out. Day after day, on the single road that runs up Alaska to Prudhoe Bay, night after loveless night in the Walmart tent, Robert held up his wall, and Rosie wondered why. We make it to Prudhoe Bay, weird place. We make it back down to the... Wait, wait, wait. Land me in Prudhoe Bay for at least a moment. (laughs) Give me something. So Prudhoe Bay is a little town of men that work two weeks on, two weeks off. It's an oil refinery. I think that's it. There's like a worker's place where people go to eat and there's worker's dorms, but it's not like a place where people live. It is like a worker's camp. You're north of the tree line. It is just tundra. I wouldn't say that it's flat, but there's not a lot of features. There's just this spongy ground that's mostly frozen most of the year. And then in the summertime, it totally comes to life. It was summertime, but even then, the life in Prudhoe Bay was minimal. The sun didn't set at all when I got to Alaska. That was a subtle but significant detail to have left out. The sun wasn't setting this whole time. And by the time we were in Prudhoe Bay, it was later in the summer, and the sun would come down and kiss the horizon of the ocean up there, which is the Arctic Ocean, and then go back up. And so I remember like sitting right at the edge of the Arctic Ocean with Robert as the sun's just kind of hitting the horizon to then rise back up and... God, I was like sitting in these rocks and I don't know what we talked about. I don't even know. I mean, that's so crazy that we hitchhiked and camped together for, it must have been two months, spent 24 hours a day together and didn't fucking touch each other once. We like, we we, we like shared a fucking tent together and all of a sudden we're what? We're just like very sophisticated friends that a part of me was going insane in my head like I just couldn't understand I couldn't understand why that was happening but I had to accept that that's what was happening because at a certain point it was just like all right where are we going next like we're stuck in cold foot Alaska and we need to fucking figure out how to get out of here and it became this kind of that was our rapport and it what like there was not a lot of time for romance when all you have to eat is snicker bars and like halibut all of that sweet alaskan halibut we looked at glaciers calving into the ocean together like we somehow got these private plane rides we had like a front row seat to all the things that people spend like eight hundred dollars to have that experience and we were just having that experience and that was natural 
for us, I think, in moving through the world together. So that's terribly romantic. But I definitely had a chip on my shoulder that time. I was like, kind of like, I don't even know how I was making sense of it to myself. This is like the most romantic shit I've ever heard. This is like the makings of the trip of a lifetime. Yeah. If only there had been the romantic chemistry, right? I mean, I mean, yes, but I like I remember like going to sleep in the tent and just like being up for like an hour just being like just yeah, wanting that and it wasn't happening. I should have just fucking asked for it. Like I should have just said this is what I want. But it was all of those powerful little voices inside of her, telling her to keep quiet. Maybe she should have just said it. Because now I know that he was hurt about Genna. And I didn't know that. I didn't know it for years. He was hurt that she had married Genna. He said, when I found out about Genna, I was heartbroken because I loved you. And to think that like we I mean, it doesn't end in Alaska. We ended up going to Miami. We ended up living, the three of us, in Miami together. It was this fucked up love triangle. Ganner was in love with me. I was in love with Robert. And who the fuck knows what Robert was thinking? Because I didn't know what he was thinking, you know? I mean, it goes on, Matt. It's like, this story goes on. I don't know about you, Earth Monster, but I'm still with her. Rosie knows how to tell a story. And she knows how to live one, too. So apparently Robert was in love with her the whole time, or at least that's what he confessed years later. But laying awake in the Walmart tent, hitchhiking on airplanes and watching glaciers calving into the ocean, all the while with his head full of small, powerful voices, telling him to keep his feelings to himself. I don't really get the motivation, but this isn't Robert's story. It's Rosie's. It was time to leave Alaska. The sun was going down on the summer season, and soon it would be cold. Rosie and Robert flew to Kentucky where Robert knew some people and he apparently had access to a car. Yeah, it was a blue Celica. I made a painting about it. But when we got to Kentucky, he was like glued to the computer. We were in Kentucky for 11 days. I remember like day five with Robert just totally ignoring the fact that I exist in this like stranger's home and just glued to the computer. And he was throwing out lots of ideas for places that they could go next. We can go to Glacier National Park. We can go to Hawaii. And he was like, and Miami was another choice. And I was like, Miami, why the fuck would we go to Miami if we can go to Glacier National Park or Hawaii? Robert was intrigued by Miami for some reason. And it sounds like he talked her into it pretty easily. Like, oh, we should really move to Miami. And we should invite Guinness so you guys can have your joint address for a while. Like, here I am. I'm ignoring the fact that I just got married and that we need to do our paperwork And even though we started that process in New York, we need certain things under our belt for that to all work out. And I'm already committed to that. And so for some reason, it was Miami. Imagine I have the rights to play fun Cuban music here. Cue the road trip montage. Rosie drives the blue Celica down to Florida while Robert sleeps in the passenger seat. I'm imagining. We put our money together. We just have a few thousand dollars. They meet Genna, the first time the three of them had all been together in months. The first time Rosie is seeing her husband. But unfortunately for us, all of the important stuff is left unsaid. And maybe it was because the best way to erase the past is to leave it in the past. I don't even know where we slept the first night. I go to look for a job and come back and the guys have found an apartment, two grand, I think. It was like a Melrose style place on Miami Beach. And they bought a scooter, like a Vespa scooter. And they spent (laughs) all of our money immediately onto this fucking fancy ass apartment on a scooter. 
They had no money. They had no jobs. Robert didn't seem worried. He was on vacation, as was kind of his way. But Rosie was an earner. The way we ate for like the first two weeks is I was stealing food from the Publix, like the grocery store. <laughs> an earner and a thief when she needed to be. And the idea was like, we're all going to get jobs right away. I immediately get a job bartending in South Beach. The guys just like wake up at 11 every day and like never really put clothes on. Like they're always in boxers or bathing suits and they're just like studying Spanish, just dicking off, like learning how to flirt with women in Spanish, basically spending all their time on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) At the time it was maddening, but it's funny now. So I start bartending. I'd never bartended before. I didn't know what a margarita was. I, I lied. I knew what a gin gimlet was and a vodka martini, but that is not what people drink in Miami, Matt. No. <laughs> they drink mojitos and margaritas and like Mai Tais. Like what the fuck? And so I was like studying <laughs> drinks on the beach in the morning. I'd have a little notebook that I would write down drink mixes in and then go to work. And like at work, the first time somebody ordered a margarita, I said Something like, oh, there's a lot of ways people like that. How do you like it? Like, I, I fucking had no idea. But I learned on the job and got the hang of it. Delusion. And meanwhile, Rosie's secret crush and her husband hung out at the apartment by the beach for two grand a month and learned to flirt with women in Spanish. And so it's starting to get very clear to me that there's no future in this threesome. There's no plan. There's no mission. There's not even a clear love interest anymore. It was as if the three of them had gotten stranded at the beach and began to let experiences fall onto them, like the lapping Miami waves. But then I'm also having fun. I decided, like, I'm going to try out to be a Miami lifeguard, so I started running and swimming a lot, and that was super cool. I'm driving a scooter to work. It was as if she had stumbled into someone else's life and started living it. We were only there for eight months, I think. Eight months? I remember like a few months in, I realized that I hadn't slept with someone in a really long time. And people flirt with me as a bartender. And I'm just kind of like pushing it off, like not even entertaining it. Because somewhere in my mind, like, oh, Robert's going to come too. I don't know how I was making sense of that. Delusion! But I definitely still had really strong feelings for him. And at the same time, was starting to like hate him. And I had this one night stand with this really disgusting, (laughs) oh no, he wasn't disgusting. I mean, it was just, I was working and a like kind of good looking guy, probably in his late thirties in a business suit starts to kind of flirt with me and we're having fun. And then he asked me when I get off of work and I said, not till two in the morning. And he said that he was willing to wait. And I was like, I don't know what you think you're waiting for. And you know, it's like buying me drinks as I'm working. He was like light skinned black guy with like a gray suit on, really sharp haircut. And he was like, I'm staying in a hotel, come back to my hotel with me. And yeah, it was weird. He's like a businessman. He was like businessman, weird sex fantasy thing he was trying to play out. That was just like not the kind of sex where somebody talks a lot and says weird shit where you're like, where the fuck did they get that from? I don't remember it super well. But I remember I left and it was like five in the morning. I remember driving my scooter home and walking in the door and my eye makeup was like all over my face because 
oh, I also like reinvented myself in Miami and wore like big flashy earrings and like lots of makeup. And it was like, I had this, this whole different thing. Cause why not? You're in Miami. What, you know, yeah. and, um, got home and walked in the door and Robert like got up to pee or something and sees me coming in with like my makeup. And it was probably obviously had a long night and he was like, disgusting. Or said something like that. Like, 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 Oh, you're disgusting. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. There was like hurtful moments like that. Cause then it's like, Oh, okay. I'm trying to be open to, you know, I'm just trying to understand where I'm at here, but there was enough of like these little, like there was one night I crashed my scooter. I hurt my knee and my knee was like incredible amount of pain. I didn't know what to do. And Robert came into my room and like comforted me and like, you know, like held me and told me it was going to be okay. And all of that. And in this way that was like amazing and beautiful and took me to the hospital. And so it was like this weird, like I was being given enough but not enough. She was secretly in love with him, but she also secretly hated him too. Rosie had started to figure out some things about her husband, Genna, as well. I thought it was language barrier, but I don't think it was language barrier. I think he's a fucking weird dude. Like, doesn't operate like you and me. It was a lack of humanity. <laughs> Maybe he was just thinking about getting that visa. I think it's more than that. I, I think he might be on the spectrum. Like, the way he connects with people is bizarre, and it feels unnatural. Like, even the way he holds himself, it, like, as if a pole is, like, shoved up his ass. Like, he he's good-looking, and so that also masks it. Like, the way he smiles, he smiles almost like you would imagine, like, a, a serial killer smiling. <laughs> Like, oh, this is what a smile's supposed to look like. So she was secretly hating him, too, which was made more difficult by one little detail. All this time, Gen is very much in love with me. And that's like a pain in my ass, you know? We would meet up to, like, do something with the paperwork. And as we're working on it, he would be like, your hair. He'd be like, your hair is curly. How do you say curly? And I'd be like, yeah. I'm catching him like staring at me. I'm catching him like not being interested in doing the paperwork and just being interested in trying to develop a relationship with me. And then as I'm keeping that from happening, he's like, oh, you must be in love with Robert. And I'm like, no, I'm not. That's not the problem. The problem is that this is not happening. It can't happen. I don't love you. I don't like you. Like we're doing this thing. And I tried to be really clear with him. Was he acting for the paperwork though? It would have helped him to not do that, though. Like, he was but fucking you, it up. But I, I feel like he can't read a room. He can't read a room, but he was fucking up the paperwork stuff. We would meet up to do something very specific, like get a joint bank account or whatever, like a joint credit card. And he would just be like, I just want to, like, let's just walk. Like, let's just get a drink. Like, let's just, you know what I mean? The whole situation was wearing on her. It was like she didn't know how to get out or where to go if she did get out. And then... Almost like magic. One day, I come home from work. And Robert has gotten Gena completely shit-faced drunk. Like a bottle of vodka deep, just like totally wasted. And Gena's just talking about how much he misses his family. And Robert convinces him to buy a plane ticket to Russia. And <laughs> the next day, we wake up and we take Gena to the airport. And he flies to Russia. Flies to Russia, completely unsure of how he'll be received. He's really depressed as he's standing in the line because it's settling in because I remember him saying like I'm gonna end up peeling potatoes in like Siberia or whatever like he's really facing the fact that he might be on his way to Russia and then sent immediately into the army 
or something, you know? But wait a minute. Still your husband. Still my husband. But at this point, I'm fucking over it, you know? You can't predict this story, Earth Monster. Delusion achieved. Rosie had left the comfort of her art school scene in Philadelphia on a mission to find a completely different version of herself. And she found it in New York and marrying Genna. And then she erased it in Alaska and found it again hitchhiking with Robert. And now in the middle of a love triangle in Miami without any of the benefits. But just when it seemed like everything was coming to an end. Genna goes to Russia. Robert and I decide, let's go to my parents' house, regroup. My parents' basement was a mess. It was like, maybe we can clean out my parents' basement and get some money and then move on. Maybe move on from each other. Maybe just move on in general. And we get to my parents' house and it's like comfort and we don't immediately start doing anything. And there's food already there. My parents really like Robert. Like they love him. Like my, especially my dad. And then we start hooking up. We start being romantic. <laughs> in Jersey? In Jersey, at the, in the comfort of my parents' house. Yeah. Yeah. That's some bullshit. What was that first moment like? Oh my God. Like beautiful, amazing. Like, what, tell me the moment. He made a move at some I point. God, do I know the moment? I don't know if I know the moment, but I know that there was like, I don't know if it was weeks. I don't know if it was months, but it was just like, um, like staring into each other's eyes, like sleeping together in different parts of the house. Like I, you know, all of that, like fun kind of, oh, let's pretend we're going to try to, um, wait, something just popped up on my screen. Automatically leaving session in 52 seconds. Why? No. No. Why do I, how do I stop it? I'm still around. Let me stop the recording for a second. And just like that, like a ticking time bomb, Rosie and Robert made love, finally. And our video call ended itself. This is a story that Rosie never tells. There are chapters that she has tried to put out of her mind for years. And I think there was even a little voice in her head that told her not to share this story here, to tell another story, or don't tell a story at all. Why is it important that we share our stories? If I had to guess, I would say it's because they keep us from erasing our past and they allow us to learn from our actions and adjust our behavior in the future. Wait, just one thing though. Where are you guys sleeping in Miami? I feel like I had my own bedroom. I had the big bedroom. And then like Guinness slept on the couch because he was the third class citizen in the situation. And Roman (laughs) had a room, I think. Yeah, so also during this time, we had this water wars thing going on where I would get ready to go out to work And I would walk out the door and Robert would have like a glass of water and splash it into my face. So my makeup would run. I'd be like, fuck you. And then, (laughs) which turned into like, you know, me doing that to him. And there was a time where he came in, I was on my laptop, on my bed, on my stomach. And he just walked into my room and dumped a bucket of water on me. And it (laughs) fried my laptop, all my work from college, all my shit just gone. So talk about fucking erasing your past. Wow. It only occurs to me how many potentially romantic situations you were in along the way on this story. I know. Only to finally get together in your parents' basement. Yeah. And like, there was like these few and far between like hints of it all, like reminders of those two days in New York or whatever, which is like ages ago at this point. 
I'm just trying to get a sense of though, like, is it the unknown adventure that's sort of driving this at this point? I'm I'm almost thinking about when you're in Kentucky, right? Right. And you're wondering how long do we have to stay in Kentucky? Because right. that <laughs> statement right there, you're like a grown up woman. What is the direction yeah. of your life at you know Blue Celica? Right. Like I mean, you're just. There was- Right. There was the promise that the blue Celica was about to go somewhere a lot more interesting. And it did, you know. I don't know about you, but that little detail actually really just helped me understand the whole story better. If I'm not trying to be an art professor or whatever, I'm just trying to be a full person. I think that's always been my goal, kind of. Like, oh, something's going to work out. Just be a full person. I should share an address with Gena for a minute whatever that looks like, Miami, fine. Are you worried about the the legality of any of this at at any point? Never, no. I mean, if there's (laughs) any worry, like really not at all. Never. Never, I was never worried about that. Oh, also, do your parents know about this? They don't, they don't, yeah. Your parents did not know you got married? No, they find out pretty soon after, I think, Miami. And they're mad, but like not really, you know. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it wasn't like the biggest deal. But anyway, so we're in New Jersey. I remember I was like wearing a onesie in the morning, like drinking coffee. And then it's like, we're going to go down into the basement. And we would like do three things. But mostly Robert would be like, look at this book. And I'd be like, look at this thing. We're just like playing with weird shit in my parents' basement. And then just like being romantic. We like watched a lot of TV. We watched the show Rome. This is kind of important. I don't know the show Rome, but apparently Caesar was the man, the people's man, and he was bringing his army back to Rome. Simultaneously, he was in a passionate love affair with this woman from a very high house, whatever that means. But she was Caesar's secret. Meanwhile, a bunch of people wanted to tear Caesar down because they believed he was gaining too much power. I promise this will all tie in shortly. So some graffiti artists tried to out Caesar and his mistress by painting profane murals of them all around the city. And the next morning, Caesar woke up, and everybody knew about a scandal. Rosie and Robert were under a blanket on her parents' couch, hanging on every moment. And so the way he handles it is he goes to her home, and he tells her, like, I can't see you anymore. And she's like, oh, come on, like, you know, we can figure this out. And he's like, no, I don't love you, and I never want to see you again. And then he, like, hits her, and hits her, like, multiple times. He smacks her in the face, and then he leaves. And then, so that scene is happening And Robert said, that's right. In the dark of the living room, Caesar hits his love in the face. And Robert says, that's right. He like speaks up. He's like, that's that's the right way to behave. And I was like, what do you mean? Why is it the right way to behave? He's like, he can't continue doing that politically. It is suicide. Like he needs to cut that off. But for him to tell her really how he feels or to do it sweetly, it would be a problem because she would still pine for it. But by doing it this way, she won't and she'll hate him and she'll move on. This is the way to stop this thing. Yeah. Three days later, I wake up and Robert is gone, left in the night. Just gone. Sleeping in my bed that I grew up in, my childhood bed. Yeah. And you wake up and you're alone. Yeah. And his shit is gone, like completely gone. He's not in the bed go out like look around like I'm like slowly realizing like oh he's gone like he took all of his shit and left without a word a letter nothing wow yeah and so that's like a moment for me 
that yeah what's that feel like what's that mean I, I think I felt heartbroken totally heartbroken it was like a very quiet moment that I think I felt like something closed like okay like that I don't know I just were you embarrassed that's a good question um yeah I was embarrassed because you know what I didn't talk to my friends about it straightforward I didn't say like oh he disappeared I just said oh yeah Robert left like I don't know where he is but he left you know like I, I so yeah I think I was embarrassed the only thing I had to hang on to was that reaction to that scene in Rome never did we really match stylistically we were always pretty different in so many ways a part of me rationalized like the way he behaved because this is the way he thought was right to behave because he needs to move on to getting a degree in America which was the whole fucking point to begin with that doesn't mean it didn't hurt you know of course yeah and so I feel like you were playing for real that whole time you know the point that's coming back to me I feel like right now is like you know, it's almost like you and Ted. Art is the most important thing. You know, love is like the zest of life or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But Robert acts like he's always on vacation. Oh, so, mm-hmm. interesting. I don't know. I mean, I'm fishing, but yeah, yeah. you guys go on the trip of a lifetime together. Mm-hmm. And you're the whole time, I feel like you're going, hey, this is supposed to mean something. Hey, we're sitting in the $800 front seats in the, the, in the private plane. <laughs> or it's like we're sharing a tent. And it's cold and it sucks. Like, why, where, like, why are you being cold to me? You know, like, what the fuck? I like, I hope he hears this and regrets that for the rest of his fucking life. <laughs> the tent? <laughs> yeah. Like, we're in Alaska camping together for like months. Like, what the fuck? Even in Miami, like, what the hell? And what really is insane is so when he leaves, I'm like, I have to get my shit together. And that's when my parents let me borrow a few hundred dollars. I rented a garage a few blocks away and I did a body of work, a body like a painting. So I am furiously working on these paintings. I sell them. I use that money to buy a plane ticket to Albuquerque. I show up in Northern New Mexico with like a few thousand dollars, like barely anything. And I start my whole erasing my past again. And you start your new life. You're still in New Mexico. Yeah. I, well, one of the things I said to myself when I landed in New, and where I landed was, I'm going to grow roots here. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to grow roots here. And I did, I've, I've fallen in love with this landscape. I have a love affair with this landscape that's like an ongoing love affair is how I think about it. Rosie's been in New Mexico for 10 years now, maybe more than that. She works on the land, restoration and landscaping and gardening. She spends her days outside in the elements. She says it's hard on her body, but it's okay. She was built for this. And I bet you're wondering, whatever happened to Gena? Once he goes back to Russia, he can't get a ticket out of Russia because of his age in the army, something like that. And so somehow he gets to Israel and him and his father work as street clowns in Tel Aviv for a certain period of time before they somehow figure out a way to get a ticket back to America. So I don't kind of see him for a while. By the time he gets back to America, I'm in New Mexico, like living this whole other chapter of my life and having a blast. And he's reaching out to me. I'm kind of not answering him. She didn't care if she was married. She had already erased that past. At the time, she was dating this fantastic guy named Mitchell. 
We lived in a yurt behind an art space. <laughs> a yurt is a portable round tent, traditionally covered in skins or felt. And an art space is whatever you want it to be, Earth Monster. We're sleeping and the blanket door of our yurt is open. And Gena and two Ukrainian guys that I've never met, he had found me in New Mexico somehow. Are standing there to wake her up like the ghost of Christmas past coming back to haunt her. He had found me in New Mexico somehow, and he was like, we have to go down to Albuquerque. For the first time in five years, they're asking for our interview. I'm thinking it's a lost cause because it's been so long and they haven't asked for our interview. So I'm kind of like, fuck off, dude. Like, you know, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. And then we're going to drive down to Albuquerque. Let's just do this. And it didn't go well. How could it? They still didn't really know each other. And they had to pretend like they were a real married couple in order for Gena to get a citizenship. You can imagine how awkward the meeting was. Or rather, you're going to need to imagine it because I think Rosie may have erased it from her memory. So they bombed the interview and slunk out of the office back into the street. And so then he has to leave. They're all on a road trip somewhere. And Rosie retires back to her yurt at the artist space. And then the next time I'm back east visiting my family, I went to the courthouse in my hometown and got a divorce. It was $250 and I just did it on my own. It may sound anticlimactic, but you gotta be happy for her. This could have gotten a lot more complicated. They shared credit cards and bank accounts, and yet somehow, $250 later, she was able to clear herself from the repercussions of a misguided delusion of her former self. And when he found out that I divorced him, he called me and he was like, you ruined my life, woman. You are, you're the worst wife anyone could have. I had a total sense of humor about it at that point. <laughs> and he is now married and they just had a baby. Rosie has grown roots in New Mexico. She lives with her boyfriend and her dog. She works on the land and she co-hosts a local drive time radio show. Robert and I, we didn't speak for a long time. I found out he faked an undergraduate degree and went to graduate school. He didn't finish because they found out before he graduated. And then went on to like travel the world basically. And he's living kind of like a hermetic life right now. But we started talking again without kind of acknowledging. Like honestly, we just, a lot of our friendship is not acknowledging some things. But because we communicate so well that no. we don't need to be acknowledging those things. But we talk <laughs> pretty regularly. Like he's one of my he's my best friend. He's visiting. No, me. he's not. Yes, he is. <laughs> I'm gonna be the good friend to you this time. It might be hard he to understand. My dad was dying. I texted him and I said, I had no idea where he was. He could have been anywhere in the world. I said, I think my dad only has a few more weeks left to live. Robert showed up a week before my dad passed away and stayed with us for like 48 hours. This is non-sexual. We have had a non-sexual friendship now that dwarfs our history. Not all relationships fit neatly into recognizable boxes. And for as good as Rosie has gotten at erasing her past, she's even better at hanging on to some of the good people that she meets along the way. And I suppose we all find some of these people in our lives if we're lucky like long-lost family members that we just get on with because we can't help the chemistry that we find with each other. So it's better to hang on tight and try to appreciate it. We hang out for about an hour or two before we are full-scale screaming at each other, whether it's about <laughs> culture, politics, or whatever. I mean, that is our rapport at this point. Robert is the only person who 
knows that story and he's the one who told me and made me accept the fact that like, oh, Genna raped you. And I never said that to myself. I never thought of it that way. Like that's what happened. That's what happened that night. And it's just like, fuck, yeah, totally. And at the end of the day, it's very easy to look at stories and say that somebody's behaving a certain way or trying to manipulate a situation or whatever. But in retrospect, we were all kids. We all didn't know what we were doing. Genna didn't know what he was doing. He thought he was getting citizenship and then he was too drunk and misdirected to focus on it. Robert didn't know what he was doing. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I feel like there was no bad intentions. We were all just trying our best and let's not make it bigger than it has to be, you know? Let's not all make villains out of each other just totally. because we played villains in each other's stories. Yeah. I think that's so important. The message isn't no big deal. The message is face why this is such a big deal for you and accept that it happened. Move on. I want to thank Rosie for her story today, a story that she has kept to herself for a very long time. And I hope she got as much out of telling it as I got out of listening to it because I think it's important that we tell our stories, particularly the ones that we are not the most proud of, and especially when enough time has gone by for us to hear them again with fresh ears. Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. If you have love for the show and you want to share it with us, you can hit us up on Venmo at Your Necessary Delusion or write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's the Purple Podcast app on your phone. Or you can join the conversation yourself call the voicemail and leave us your thoughts. Tell us a story, give us feedback on an episode, or tell us something that you learned from listening to one of our storytellers. You can call that number at 323-540-4540. Hey Matt, it's Bobby. Uh, how's it going? I'm just sitting in the car right now waiting to teach a class, but uh, here's a delusion for you. Um, have you ever heard that one? Uh, if you see, ele- like if you keep seeing 1111, it means you're Oh, well, according to Google, it means you're on the right path in what you're doing. Well, I've been seeing that all week. So uh, instead of um, using my rational brain and being like it's a coincidence or my body can sense when the time's coming, so I'm automatically going to look at that time, I'm going to say that I'm on the right path. Delusion! Okay, have a great day. Bye. We will be back next week with more epic everyday stories of success and redemption. Until next time.